Good evening, you fantastic and glorious degenerates of this floating rock that we call Earth. Welcome to the Cajun Libertarian Live. I am your host, the Cajun Libertarian, and tonight we will be talking again with the man, Matt Kibbe. Love him. You all love him. So coming up next on the Cajun Libertarian Live, tune in. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to the Cajun Libertarian Live. And without further ado, let's bring on the man that you all know and love, Mr. Matt Kibbe. Matt, how are you, man? Hey, it's good to be back. Oh, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, cannot thank you enough for uh, coming back on the show. How is DC that absolutely despotate and disgusting uh, hellhole of a Capitol Hill? It you know it doesn't seem to end here. I, I live on Capitol. By the way, my cat has joined me again. This is a different cat than before. This, this is Rourke. Um, all of my cats are Randians, and that that's a whole different episode we can do. But uh, um, I live two blocks from the Supreme Court, and it has been a lot of chaos. And they have Amazing. a lot of streets around me blocked off. So it's I don't know. I, I I think I talked about this last time. I've been trying to convince my wife Terry to to let me leave DC, but, but she loves her house and she loves her friends and her community. And I, I think I'm going to lose that fight. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I can't really blame you for, for either, right. For the, for losing the fight or even having the fight. I personally would, would love to have you out of DC. Um, yeah. Free me. I, free I, I, me. Yeah. Free Free the people and free Matt Kibbe for sure. Uh, that that cannot be a, a, a very, uh, let's say, positive atmosphere over there. But we all thank you and love you for uh, keeping up the fight in that absolutely disgusting hellhole of corruption and swampiness, not to steal anything from Donald Trump because yeah. I don't, but it is what it is. I mean, that place is incredible. So, yeah. Thank you for living in that nonsense. And so, like, like we were talking about uh, before the show, uh, you got your Rush shirt on, man. I yep. love it. I'm a huge Rush fan. Uh, Neil Peart's the greatest drummer that's ever been alive, in my personal opinion. I grew up on Rush, my parents' favorite band, my personal favorite band of all time. Um, tell us about your experience with Rush. So I've, I've been a Rush fan since I was 13 years old. And I heard it like I'm I'm old enough that you had to discover music in in a very difficult way. You couldn't go on Spotify and you couldn't like Google it. You you had to hear it. Right. And um, one day in high school, I heard some kids playing this album, and it was like nothing else I'd ever heard. It was uh, a, um, all the world's a stage, which was their first live album. Yes, and indeed. I, I, I went to the store because I had to have that album. I'm like, I've never heard anything like that. That's amazing. And I couldn't find it because back then the stores didn't have all those choices. And I found 2112 and I took it home and it was an amazing album. And, you know, back in the day when, when we bought vinyl records, 
you would read the liner notes. And 2112 is dedicated to the genius of Ayn Rand. And I'm, I'm like, I'm 13. I'm like, who's that dude? And I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea, but, uh, I, I went on to discover, um, her book Anthem at a garage sale. And I followed the breadcrumbs all the way through her recommendations to read Austrian economics. And, and that, that rush album is the reason I'm here today. And, and, you know, Neil Peart, who was the lyricist for Rush, um, for most of his career, actually all of his career, he had identified as a libertarian. Um, as he got older, he called himself a bleeding heart libertarian. I think in large part frustrated yeah. with the inability of, of, of libertarians to connect with people's emotions. And, and, and maybe we'll talk about that in the context of some other things tonight. But yeah. um, amazing band, like they... They were virtuoso musicians. They were a thinking band. Um, they didn't sing about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They they sang exactly. about ideas. And to me, that's what was so attractive uh, about Neil Peart's lyrics. Like, they made you think. And and we were talking earlier about Farewell to Kings. And if anyone wants an introduction to Rush, I recommend that album and that song. It is a completely fitting um, story for where we are today with, with the arrogance of of political elites and, and, well, and how they, how they don't give a damn about people. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. That's well said. The complexity of the uh, conceptualism that, and, and most people don't know this about Neil Peart and his lyrics, right? Most people don't understand that the drummer of Rush was who made most of the lyrics and were just absolutely conceptually fascinating and, and, and above, like you said, what most people of their time were doing, what most people were doing, we're singing about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, rock and roll. And what Neil Peart was writing his lyrics and Rush was singing about were conceptually groundbreaking philosophical thing. Like the thing that comes to mind, one of the one of the songs that stood out to me with them when I realized that this is what they were doing, they were actually trying to engage our intellect intellectualism is uh, the trees, right? If you remember the trees, yeah, that song, song, amazing song. That's like, okay, these people are doing something different. Yeah. And they're actually trying to engage your intellectualism and trying to engage that part of your brain that's connected to not just musicality, but the philosophical side of it, not just, just amazing. When you, when you think back to, you know, the trees is, is ultimately a critique about what we now call equity, not even, <laughs> not even, not even social justice, but equity. And it's, it's a metaphor where um, the trees are fighting about, about getting sunlight. So they end up chopping each other down and, and it, you know what's what's interesting about Neil Peart, and I, I didn't know this until recently, um, when I was w- writing my last book, "Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff." But um, Rush was perhaps one of the very first musical acts um, to be a victim of cancel culture, and this is before, way before Twitter and the internet. But hmm. um, when Neil Peart thanked Ayn Rand in the liner notes of that album. There was a there was sort of the Rolling Stone of the time. It was called New Musical Express. Wrote a hit piece comparing 
uh, libertarians in rush to the Nazis at Auschwitz. And it was, wow. it was a particularly offensive hit because, and most people don't know this either, but Getty Lee, the lead singer from Rush, his parents actually met as teenagers at Auschwitz. Yep. Um, so you imagine what a deep cut that left on, on the band and Neil Peart. And I think, I think he struggled for the rest of his career to understand why, why exactly someone would do something so hateful when he was mm. just trying to, you know, he's trying to figure out how the world works. He was trying to explain how he viewed the world um, in, in what amounts to a kind of a, a science fiction take on Anthem, which is what 2112 is. And so the, he dealt with that, I think, in his music and his lyrics and the way he thought about the world for the rest of his life. But obviously they weren't canceled. They became a massively popular band. But, uh, you know, the same talking points, and this is like 1976, um, anyone that believes in freedom is 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 sort of dubbed a, a Nazi or a fascist and and we're playing the same game today, right? Yeah, repetitive. I mean, it's no different. It's the exact same game. It's anything that we deem uh, obstructive to our ability to control the narrative, then you're a freaking Nazi yeah. or you're you know, a fascist. It's so underlining of the fact that our society doesn't even appreciate, number one, right, the most shallow and superficial uh, idea is that we don't even appreciate language anymore. We don't appreciate the value that words and labels have. This is a huge problem for me because I, I'm, call me old-fashioned, right? I'm 39, but I still put a huge paramount on what definitions actually mean. Yeah. I want to go back to, does this word, does this thing actually say and do what you're applying it to? And you're finding out that in the vast majority of cases, left and right, that's not the case. Anybody we don't like is either a communist or alt-right. Right, and we're right. not we're not putting a value on etymology anymore, which is a huge concern for me. Because if we really wanted to actually place intrinsic value and merit on the language of our society, then we would embrace how we define things. And this is an absolute lapse for me. I, it it frustrates. It's one of the most frustrating things for me. Am I wrong here? It's it's one of my biggest obsessions is encouraging people particularly libertarians because i'm i'm in this tribe like i'm i am a libertarian um and i want everybody to get turned on to these these beautiful ideas and solutions i i think that i've stumbled upon um, right. but we're as guilty as anybody at, to not listening to other people and not what they say and, and the words they use, but what, what they're trying to mean when they say those things. And that, right. you know, they, there's everything now is so tribal. And, and maybe we talked about this last time, but language, you know, once you say, you know, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal or I'm a progressive, uh, less so with I'm a libertarian because I think so few people even know what that is. Right. But it it stops people from hearing what other people are trying to to say and I, I think you know this plays out 
every week in social media. And, you know, this week it's playing out on, on gun control and, and the latest school shooting where, where I don't, I don't think anyone can hear each other. They just, they just sort of jump back into their team. I, I love that. What you just said right there is amazing. Uh, and I, I don't want to just skip that over. We are not hearing each other. Can you, can you explain? Because I, I know, what, I think I know what you're trying to say, but my God, is that so vastly important? Yeah. Like I, um, a story I tell a lot is I'm, I've been uh, part of a progressive working group um, and they were, and, and by the way, a second cat has joined us. So this, Maybe we'll it. just talk about cats tonight. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I love it. We have a cat of our own. <laughs> um, this guy, maybe he'll come over here. His name's Reardon. All my all my cats are are named after Rand characters, so that's a thing. <laughs> but but I um I joined this progressive group, and I was sort of their token libertarian, and they were kind enough to include me. Um, but I realized quite quickly when, you know, it is, it was off the record and behind the scenes, all that stuff. And I was truly trying to understand where people that philosophically were in a very different place than I was, where they were coming from. But I noticed that even though they were speaking perfect English, like all the words were English, the sentences were well-structured. I, I really had no idea what they were talking about. Um, and like, if you go on, Maybe not MSNBC because everybody's shouting at each other. But if you if you actually go try to listen to um, a modern progressive and the the kind of language they use and the meaning that's embedded in that language, it's very difficult to understand what they're saying. And and that um, that's one thing. But if you think about who we are and all the tribal language that libertarians use, like like non-aggression principle, uh, you and I know what that means. But but. Correct. No normal people have any idea what we're trying to say when we right. say that. So I think um, right. I think like listening, asking questions and not making it sort of a partisan slugfest, because once people get into their fight mode, um, there's there's no chance at connecting. There's no chance at persuasion. Um, this is why everything we do at free the people is really designed to be sort of, sort of above the political fray. I, I don't even, I, I do it. I do it, but I, 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 sometimes I don't even like using the word libertarian because it's even, it is an ism like all the other isms that, that I spend so Correct. much time criticizing. Yeah. 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 I wholeheartedly agree. Right. Like a, a lot of people that are tuned in, or starting to tune in and trying to figure out what libertarian is, uh, libertarianism is, we have this select language that we use. But I will say this, that we have definitive you know, uh, discussions about what it is that we actually stand on and believe in. And that there's when we boil it down, there's not really a whole bunch of gray area. But to your uh, prior point, when you were saying that you were talking with progressives, here's my issue. They have, and you know, their language is polluted with ambiguity for a specific reason. Okay. Ours isn't, it may be ambiguous on the face, on its face, on the surface, but we can explain what it means. Their language is ambiguous for a reason because they do not want us to pin down exactly what a definition of a thing is. 
no matter what that thing is, it real, you know, I'm, I'm been fighting over it, right? Like, okay, well, you weren't being ambiguous here. Let's nail down this definition of what is it, what it is you exactly mean. Yeah. And I still can't get a damn straight answer. Yeah. We, our language might be foreign to a lot of people, but we can give you the exact X, Y, and Z of what it is we're talking about. But when it comes to progressive and their language, it's ambiguous for a reason. And I believe personally, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that that language is that polluted with ambiguity for the sole purpose of being able to shift the goalposts at any time that they wish. Because if you can change and manipulate the vocabulary, then you can always control the narrative. Am yeah. I wrong? No, I, th I think you're right. And uh, I, I think our communication sins are that we're, we're generally motivated by um, a, a, a keen sense of, of morality, of right and wrong, yeah. uh, a very, a very logical approach to things. I'm an economist by right. nature. And I, I think yeah. about things in, in terms of, of institutions and economic incentive incentives and, and what happens when, when you ignore those things. And, and also just like, um, you know, for all the talk about data and, you know, people can abuse data. We, we, we try to actually look yes. at the numbers and see what's going on. And I think, I think our weakness is that um, most people, uh, progressive, conservative, libertarian, whatever, don't really consume the world that way. So that's, that's our weakness. Um, progressive leaders, and I always draw a distinction between people that might identify as progressive or sort of curious about progressivism or are saying those things that they've heard progressives say versus the leaders. And I, I think I think you're spot on when it comes to the leadership that, that the language is specifically designed to to confuse and obfuscate and keep people wondering um, what exactly is right and wrong, those kinds of things. Um, but but I, I think I think people that that use that, that have sort of glommed onto that language because that's what they heard. Um, right. And they're they're trying to explain something and they're struggling to figure stuff out. Um, that's different. And when I, when I say trying to understand where other people are coming from, I'm talking about people, not not apparatchiks, not not the experts, not the people right. in power that are trying to impose their views on other people. I'm I'm just talking about like you know, the, the 22 year old kid that's tuning into Joe Rogan, just because he doesn't disrespect their process of trying to figure stuff out. No, I, I could not, I could not agree more. Right. So like when I, as you just highlighted, when I talk about these things specifically, I mean specifically these politicians and these people that are actually in MSM, right. I, Sorry, I shouldn't have even used MSM. Uh, main, mainstream media is not a thing anymore. Mainstream media is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Mainstream media is the collective on the internet expressing ideas. What I mean, and I apologize for misrepresentation, is corporate media. Right. And they still do have somewhat of a stronghold, but that's dying fast. It's dying real fast. And those are the ones that tend to typically use this type of language that we're discussing. We're discussing, and I, I do wholeheartedly believe that 
its sole purpose and intent is divide and conquer. Yep, hundred percent. And and I think um, that the more hostile they get, the corporate media, um, the machine, the collusion of of big media and big government, which which I know we talked about last time. Um, mm -hmm. They're they're so desperate to shut us down because because they're losing that conversation. And I think correct. I think people are calling bullshit on it, and and that's why as you know, we'll we'll spend most of tonight talking about how desperately bad things are right now. But I'm I'm a long term right. optimist about these things. I, I think people are onto their game, and they're they're going to work it out. And and um, for those of us that that want to connect with people about liberty, that like view that as an opportunity, but be there for them and meet them where they're coming from, not from some sort of ivory tower where, you know, they're, if they're not 100%, we're not going to give them the time of day. Because I we we do have that sort of tendency, right? Like, oh, he's not a real yeah. libertarian. Oh, yeah. That gatekeeping is kind of a cancer. I would argue that is within the libertarianism or liberty movement, probably the number one cancer but you're absolutely right right there. Uh, gatekeeping is horrible. But I do think that, like you said, we have the voice now. We have the opportunity to reach out and actually connect people with our ideas and long-term optimism, right? Like you just said, right after our last conversation, I had Spike Cohen on. And I was talking to him. I was like, dude, Matt just fussed at me for for not being a, a enough of an optimist, you know, and I, I want to correct that. I want to, I want to be on that. Right. I'm, I'm inherently kind of a, a chaotist, right. I, just a person that sees what's coming. And I'm like, Oh, well, the chaos is coming right now. This is what we need to do. There's no hope, but here's the hope in how we can salvage ourselves. There's yeah. just no hope within the government. Right. But then after having that conversation with you, and then talking with Spike, and I'm realizing I'm like, I got to change my mindset, and I've got to express the things that I actually feel and see every day. I get the opportunity to meet new people and talk about politics every single day. And what I see and feel is actually optimistic. And so I think we should embrace that approach. We need to take every single opportunity that we can to show them hey look x y and z yeah it's real effing bad but here's a b c d e f g as to why this can work in our favor yep i i really believe um particularly in americans like there's something about americans um but i think people generally like we have a tremendous capacity to figure stuff out to work around obstacles and to to find a better path and and that that is essentially the story of of America's process of becoming right what it is um and I'm you know I'm 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 not an American exceptionalist the way conservatives talk about but I I think there's something cool about our rules and our ethos yeah. and and I I really believe in that and I think that's that's why um, we find ourselves on the receiving end of, of so much uh, global scorn sometimes. 
because um, yeah. the the planners and the elitists and the the people that want to control our lives really don't like our independence, and that's what they're trying to stamp out, and that's precisely what we're what we're trying to reignite. Oh, they hate it. They hate it. They absolutely hate our uh, our fire for independence and individual liberty. I think you're so spot on right there. And something I've been following so closely for, oh man, I don't know, I guess closing on a year now is the World Economic Forum. And they're in Davos right now doing their thing. Uh, it, th this is exactly what you're referencing right here. Yeah. Is that these uh, extremist globalist leaders, they absolutely disdain our taste and preference for individual freedom with the base and look y'all just 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 letting you know these aren't fancy words these aren't fancy things these people at the world economic forum these progressives these globalist elitist progressives they hate one idea and that idea is this right here just leave me alone and let me do my thing yeah that's literally what they hate yeah they're they're almost a caricature um and you, you know i i remember way back um you know people would go to davos and it was considered sort of um left of center elitist place where where sort of the you know the the beautiful people would gather and sort of look down at the rest of us working rubes but uh, it was actually glenn beck who first um, said to me, and I thought he was a little bit nutty at the time. And he's like, these guys, <laughs> these guys are dangerous. These guys are wanting to take over the world. And yep. uh, I got to say he was hundred percent right. You know, he just wrote a book on this, but he's been talking about it for years. Um, they are the new Marxists in a sense that they're, they're, they're not really socialists the way that you would think of of Marxist, you know, dialectic of, of the march of history. Right they're, right, they're, right. they're just technocratic planners in the way that the original progressives were. They, they, they were, they were eugenicists and they were elitists and they really thought that they could redesign the world through science from the top down. And when you watch, when you watch any session from the world economic forum, they very, very much view people like uh, farm animals. Can and they want they want to inject us with these tracking systems and they want to manipulate us and it's like this, this is all, it's almost like a james bond movie um caricature <laughs> of an evil guy like the guy <laughs> dr evil guy I, i'm yeah, forgetting yeah. his what's his name i can't remember his name right now dr evil is from uh um uh, austin powers but the uh, same concept applies for sure yeah. there's a couple of them uh, you know you you could look through any real, um, you know, uh, comic book supervillain, and you'll see the same thread, right? Go to uh, Superman. Go why? Yeah, yeah, go look at Superman comic books from days old. Uh, you'll find that Lex Luthor had the same idea. He yeah. wanted to take the world over via science because they have this idea that the the realm that they live in, which is outside of the realm of reality. That's what people are missing. Right? I think people are waking up to it, but a lot of people are missing is that they're living in this bubble. And 
you know, on, on, on his face, on paper, hypothetically, it, it seems like, hey, look, that might work. But in reality, it cannot work. No, because it's, you um, can't. It's 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 a it's a religious thing, um, in in the worst possible sense, because they they want to make, um, scientific perfection, the new religious faith, and and you hear that from progressives right. when they they say the science is settled, which is the most unscientific thing you can actually say. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Because science is this this endlessly curious process of trying to figure things out that you don't understand. Um, and you know, the, the origins of socialism weren't, weren't Marx at all. It was, uh, a guy named, uh, Henri de Saint-Simon, a French aristocrat, of course, um, who actually wanted to replace traditional religion, Christianity with temples to Newton as in Sir Isaac Newton. And, uh, it was, it was, two parts crazy and one part predictive because that's kind of where we are today um, when we put we put sort of uh, we put Tony fauci on a prayer candle as if mm. as if he is our Lord and Savior and it's 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 creepy and dangerous and and hubris and everything you can imagine oh man you you could not have said that better the only thing I'll add to that is um, personally, I okay, let me let me say it like this. I'm against the death penalty. 100% against state death penalty. If I were to make an exception, <laughs> a public hanging <laughs> would be in order for certain people. Okay? I I think and I'm not saying that that's Fauci. I'm saying that has there anybody been worse in public uh, uh, epidemiology or public health? And, you just, and, and yeah, you just don't want to give anyone. Get, you don't want to give anyone that much power um, because the consequences of their mistakes. And and we've been talking about this for two years, but the the audacity and the arrogance of of what we did to people over the past two years my God. has real life consequences. Like um, people died, people suffered um, poverty, which we had been successfully beating back over the last generation is, is back again. Um, yeah. The depression, like we, we just list all night long that the, the crimes they committed against humanity particularly people that that couldn't afford um to to fight back i mean the laptop class did fine they they stayed home yep. uh, people delivered food to their doors but you know people yep. that were struggling kids who were struggling in school um people that were struggling to feed their families um people struggling with uh mental health issues people with other diseases that the that the government didn't apparently care about like Yep. All of these things are are very tangible things that we could measure. And those are crimes against humanity. Those aren't mistakes. 100%. Be because we, um, there, there, there were voices that were trampled out that were pointing out these very obvious trade-offs, these costs to what they were doing. So, yeah, like I, I'm against the death penalty too. 
Um, but I'm not against uh, calling people out who, who who committed these crimes, and we should. 100%. I And I have been on this hill. It's the reason that I am here right now, because, mm, my God, what happened over the last two-plus years, I'm fed up and sick. And at this point right now, I'm really, really upset at how We've just discarded the crimes against humanity, which is that's exactly what I've been calling it for a year now or better than a year. And we're just going to let these people off the hook because, oh, well, the science is different now. So no more mass, no more locking people up, no more force vaccinate. No, I'm not done with this. Not by a long shot. These people need to go to jail. And I've got to be careful with what I say here. <laughs> Excuse me. But I'm not done with this. There, there, no chance, no freaking chance should we let this go. The What's happened over the last two plus years is not only uh, horrifically criminal, but by design in my own personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me on that. Mistakes can be made. I get that. People, you know, will make scientific mistakes. I get that. But excuse me if I'm not going to buy that from people that knew from the jump who were involved in the freaking scientific research in this matter. And then they want to lock everyone down and crush our economy and then just open it back up like, yeah, this is just something we can hit a button. It's just a video game. Yeah. We saved our we saved our progress. We're gonna pause it for a bit. Now let's restart. No, that's not how it works. You've crushed people's lives. A lot of people have, are dead now because of you. I'm not letting this go. These people need to be held to account. Right. So, like, I I just remembered the guy's name. I called him Doctor Evil. His name his name is Klaus Schwab, and <laughs> and and he actually he I didn't actually know that's looks who you're looking for. He looks like uh, he looks like Doctor Evil, and he acts like Doctor Evil, except that he may be more evil than Doctor Evil. Much and more. and you know he he will be the first one to say, and but not the only one to say that um, COVID and the lockdowns have created an opportunity to do things we've never been able to do before. So they've they've built this infrastructure, and it, and it goes to this this evil philosophy of viewing people as as pieces in a in a puzzle or pieces on a chessboard or just you know cogs in a machine to manipulate yeah uh, like like farm animals and this this gets at this project this this scientific thing whatever it is they want to call it um, and they're wanting now to set up the 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 exact infrastructure that China has the social credit system Correct. That, where, where they're going to grade us based on our behavior you know are we are we complying with the the medical protocols they want are we complying with uh their their climate change protocols what what aren't we doing as good citizens and and to me that's that's the thing we're fighting now we're not really fighting the socialists Amen. anymore um we defeated no. the socialists now now we're de- we're fighting these these technocratic authoritarians that just Absolutely. don't give a damn about people no, they could care less. All they care about is their power and this philosophy that they deem worthy 
uh, of globalist agenda. I want to go to this comment real quick, Matt. It's Aaron Sigler. Aaron Sigler is a, a neurosurgeon that follows me. We had a massive shift from treatable cancers to late stage incurable cancers because people avoided going to the hospital during the peak of the pandemic. That is straight from a neurosurgeon. Aaron, thank you for that comment. And you couldn't be more right. I mean, what we did over the last two plus years is nothing short of mass criminality. What we've done, it, we <laughs> people don't think about, or I say people, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not talking to y'all. I'm saying there's a lot of people that don't think about the repercussions of what really happened because they don't really understand what has gone on the last two plus years. We only look at surface level um, content, right? And so when you have a comment like that from a neurosurgeon, that really speaks volumes about how much we've neglected and intentionally neglected the health and reality of this situation of the two plus years. And it's incredibly criminal. And I'm sorry, I, I, I will not give this up. I will die on this hill. They can ax me from the internet. They already have, and I'm back. That's fine. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not going to let this go. What these people did, and I wholeheartedly, Matt, you can disagree with me here. I wholeheartedly believe that the vast majority of these quote-unquote experts, they did it intentionally to create a dependency on the system to say that we are the only experts. We are the only ones that know this information. You are a pleb. You are a freaking peasant, and you have no right to critically think on your own. You must follow us on all costs. Yeah. This, um, um, your neurosurgeon friend is 100% right. And you can, um, you can now produce the data to prove that the number one and number two causes of death in the world, which is cardiovascular disease is number one, cancer is number two. Um, those two categories, we completely neglected during during lockdowns and it wasn't just that we scared cancer patients away from mm. from getting detection from getting treatment um we also had politicians um governors in particular deciding that hospitals would prioritize covid and and basically making it illegal for other people to get treatment for other stuff. As if as if the governor of New York, the now infamous Andrew Cuomo, had any idea what it meant to, to sort of prioritize uh, the challenges of, of everybody's health. And and I'll, I'll tell you a specific story. And this goes back to our messaging thing, because because I, I I've I've written a paper on this. Um, there is very clear data that demonstrates that um, we we killed a lot of people by focus by by shifting the entire political focus on COVID. Um, the the data is there, the numbers are there, the body count is there. Um, but you know, data is not that persuasive. So one of the one of the films that we made during lockdowns is a story about a family 
in Brooklyn, New York. The, the documentary is called All We Have. You can watch it at freethepeople.org. And it is a story about a, a family restaurant struggling to stay open when, when Cuomo locked down restaurants. Um, but it's also a story about a family who lost their son because when he had, he started having seizures and because, um, because COVID was mandated a priority at hospitals, he wasn't able to get access to the tests that he needed and he ended up dying. And to me, that story is more powerful because you meet his dad, you know his name, and you see that that didn't have to be the case. And, you know, we can, we can add it up and we can, we can add all of these numbers together and show that, that, that um, stupid policies killed a lot of people. But, but I want people to know at a very emotional level, not a logical level, not an economic level, but, but an emotional level that these mistakes had real consequences for real families. Yeah, and I think that's verifiable on paper. I don't think I know. We we know for a fact that these consequences are verifiable on paper. And we also know without a shadow of a doubt that every measure that was taken um, did not help. They only hurt. But yet we still have people out here thinking that what we did helped mitigate the spread in death and hospitalization of said disease. And we know for a fact that it did not. And every single measure that was taken only hurt. And the story that you just laid out gives us another prime example of exactly how we've been so wrong. And that's just wrong. And that's what pisses me off. It's not about being freaking wrong. It's about the fact that this was criminal. We destroyed lives. And it just, I'm sorry. It just, it just. So let, let's find the upside here because we're, we're getting, <laughs> we're, we're driving each other into a dark hole here. Right, right, um, right, right, right. The alternative. And so everything we're talking about is critiquing the arrogance of someone with political power thinking they know better than people okay. in their lives, in their communities, in their families, um, right. pe- people that that know things that no politician could ever know, and the the alternative to a one size fits all central plan response to one of many challenges. COVID was a challenge. It was, it was a very deadly disease. But it was one of a million things that people were dealing with. Always true. People are always dealing with all this stuff. And the alternative to politicians deciding what the priorities are and and how to deal with them, because they couldn't possibly know, is letting people figure that stuff out in a very local, personal, bottom-up kind of way. And that that is the right. basis of the libertarian philosophy is that we... We actually believe that that people are capable of figuring stuff out and that Correct. other people know things that we don't know. And, and through the process of voluntary cooperation, um, we could do beautiful things together. And I think um, 
you know, part of our part of the thing we're pretty good at is raging against the machine. The part that we're not so good at sometimes is talking about this beautiful process of cooperation that that does amazing things. And I think we need to we need to always pivot from just the critique of what um, Dr. Evil wants to do to explaining why we got a better solution and it's it's based on on human respect and it's based on cooperation and it's based on the the ability of people to determine their own lives and right. and that that to me is like that's that's sort of the the bleeding heart libertarianism version of libertarianism but that's that's a piece of the puzzle Right, right, right. So let let me ask you this, and this may maybe this is a little bit of a pushback here, but how do we bridge the gap between Doctor Evil, aka Klaus Schwab, and, and you know Klaus Schwab is a representation of a globalist agenda that is absolutely polluted our our governmental in, infrastructure basically almost every governmental infrastructure on the planet. How do we bridge the gap between these people are evil and what they're doing and we need to make individual liberty paramount, right? Because that's a huge, sorry, that's a huge space between those two things. Right. Right. And and there's a lot of people that are going to have a lot of questions in between that space. So how do we bridge that gap? Well, they're, they're, they're opposites, right? And, and I, I've always described it as, you know, we, our, our story should be half rage against the machine and we shouldn't pull our punches when we're explaining how, how arrogant and and deadly the philosophy of the Klaus Schwab's of the world is, but also that, um, you know, we're not, we're not saying, um, you know, screw people. Let's just see what happens. We're saying that there exactly. is a proven process by which free people make things better. And um, to to my thinking, it's the central planners, it's the Doctor Evils of the world, are the ones that are on the spot to explain how it is they could possibly know more than millions and millions of people with, with all of their personal expertise on how to solve problems. Um, to me, that's, that's the onus we put on them. So it's, it's a, these are polar opposite things. One is beautiful. One is evil and arrogant. And we should, we should call both those things out, but we spend all of our time railing against Klaus Schwab and we forget to explain to people who are worried about real life problems, in, including right. viruses and everything else they deal with in their lives. And, you know, we, we don't always get around to explaining how it is that that freedom best manages those types of problems and, and comes up with solutions and paths forward and, and ways that people can live their lives. Yeah, I totally agree. This is something that, um, and I get most people don't have the opportunities that I do. I have a very advantageous uh, day job. I get to meet new people every day, every day. 
and I get to talk with them about their daily lives and about how, you know, the current economic and political system is affecting them on an everyday basis. That's something that a lot of people don't get to do. And I do, right? I don't bring, I don't bring up Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum. Right. Right. This, this is something that we need to you know, dissect and dive off into. And people will understand it eventually. I don't think that our society is stupid like a lot of people do. I think that the vast majority of the people that live in this country are very, very well equipped to handle knowledge when it comes in information, when it comes to things like the World Economic Forum and what Klaus Schwab and what the, the globalist agenda is. But when I'm talking to somebody in their homes and, and, I, and you know, I, I reference this specifically because this is a demographic that I talk to on a daily basis. When I talk to the single black mother who's got three kids and she's trying to pay rent and she's trying to get her kids to school, she's not concerned about that. And she doesn't care about your politics. She wants to know how the hell am I supposed to live this life and raise my kids the best I can with no effing father and gas prices the way they are with an obvious school corruption. These yeah. are things that average everyday people, that's what they're concerned about. So that's why I asked, how do we bridge the gap, right? Because there has to be a gap bridge of information between we have this absolutely corrupt globalist system that's affecting us all and that is literally the underlying issue of all of our problems to you're paying X at the gas pump and you can't afford to put your kid in school yeah, because you're a single mother that's going through things. I mean, it, it's, it's really, really intense. You gotta, you gotta meet that mom where she lives and the, meet her where she at, where the, the troubles that she is dealing with and maybe it's gas prices um, maybe it's probably primarily the crappy education system that that she can't even rely on to keep her kids safe, let alone teach them. Um, I, I think I think it's all those things, and I think the stories we tell um, for the people that we're talking to have to meet them where they are because nobody gives nobody gives a shit about Davos. Yeah. And, and that's honestly, that's not the problem. Davos is not the problem. Klaus Schwab is not the problem. The arrogance of, of centralization and, yeah. and how it's corrupted our schools, how it's corrupted, um, the family, how it's corrupted, uh, everything in the lives of real people. I think, I think that's, where we can where we can make a connection, hopefully, and it and by the way, it's an emotional connection. They understand like the price of gas is an economics question, but it's also like, how Amazing. am I going to get to work? Yep. And and you know for for the laptop class, they don't care. Doesn't affect them. Might affect their Uber Eats bill, but they don't care. Um, so I, I think we need to we need to sort of 
the bridge I think is is potentially between economics and 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 the pain that people are feeling when they deal with the economic consequences of these bad policies. Yeah, yeah, that's beautifully said because that's exactly correct in my personal opinion. Absolutely, we need to bridge the informational gap between. Um, how can I understand economics to make it work for me to these are the things that are economically affecting your life. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people are misconstrued and they don't completely understand. They think they're hopeless. They're hopeless. And we shouldn't be hopeless. They're thinking of this. This is absolutely a freaking 100% product of a deterioration and exploitation of our education system that you're made to think that these basic economic structures that affect your daily life you can't absolve absorb and interpret this is objectively false yeah. yes we can it doesn't take five seconds of research and understanding to figure out where this stuff comes from and it, it it's to me, I guess I'd just say it's brainwashing. I so mean, that's what it is. So let let's pivot. We we were gonna um, we we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, about the the latest tragic school. Yeah, actually, I have it pulled up right now. <laughs> and and I, I think this might be a nice jumping off point because one of the one of the one of the things that I was thinking about in the response to this. And it's not the first time I thought about it. You could look, you could look at, um, on, on the one hand, um, you know, people that say that America is uniquely violent, the, they're absolutely wrong. Um, it is, yes. it is not true. And, nope. um, the, the, you know, the, the so-called data around mass shootings is wildly exaggerated, but honestly, one mass shootings, one too many, and um, there has been a um, growing trend since the early 1990s of school shootings, and and we all we all know these stories. And um, you know one one of the questions I have about the school system, the government school system, we we call it the public school system, but it's really a government system, and particularly Correct. over the last two years. Um, I think a lot of parents discovered that what they thought was an education system is for, particularly for um, kids that are different. Hmm. It's it's kind of a torture chamber. It's kind of a prison system. It's a regimented, you will fall in line and do X, Y, and Z, and, and you're going to do it over an eight-hour school day, and then we're going to let you go home. And, and I think, I think we're learning the hard way that we're not treating kids like individuals and particularly for troubled kids, you're going to end up with, with, with some horrific outcomes if you're not careful. Yep. Completely agree. 100%. And here's the reason I say that is, uh, Hmm. A lot I can go into right there. I'm going to keep it simple real quick. We are not uh, cultivating the curriculum to the child. 
we have a system that has integrated uh, just mass psychosis formation. I mean, how else do you say it, right? That That's it. We have a system that makes the kid, the child, integrate to the system, which we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the education system doesn't work that way. Yep. We understand fully. Even Newton said it. You can make a frog climb a tree, and then you're going to judge him as a squirrel. Quote, you know, uh, paraphrasing. You can't judge intelligence by one standard testing system. You can't because each child is going to learn different. So when you subject every freaking child to the same system of educational learning, then of course you're going to have bad outcomes because each of us as human beings have different levels of learning. We have different ways of interpretation of how we uh, absorb information and then we dissect it internally. This is a God-proven fact. And the, the way we're doing our education system right now, we're subjecting each kid to one standard of learning. Learning, that should be put in quotes. One standard of testing is the real thing. Uh, and then we're, we're expecting that these kids aren't going to be frustrated when it doesn't turn out their way. When we're expecting them to do something that they're they should never be expected to do, what the hell are we talking about? The um, the other things that I noticed about um, there's a guy. Um, let me let me find his name. Um, there's a guy that I talked to, Doctor Warren Farrell. And his most recent book is called The Boy Crisis. And I, I did a bunch of interviews with him uh, two or three years ago. And there was another school shooting. And he had observed a pattern amongst school shooters that was was pretty predictive. Not, not, not 100%. But one of the things that he noticed was these, these kids that go evil and right. end up killing a bunch of people. Um, they probably didn't have a dad or they had an abusive dad or they had a dysfunctional relationship with their dad. And almost always. And the latest one fits that category. Dad was not there. And and yep. his point, um, and he's 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 got a whole uh, philosophy. He started off as as a second wave feminist, which is very different than modern feminism. <laughs> And there and he and he got turned off by the evolution of feminism because it started to become anti-man. And and he, like myself, was all in on on women being treated equally with respect. Same here in the workplace and everywhere else. Um, and and at some point, it became kind of kind of a man-hating thing. And his point is. We need strong, independent women, and we need strong, healthy, independent, disciplined men. And and one of the one of the things he, he pointed out was that the you know the 
the the breakup of the family and i think he even goes to this but i'll go there that you know that the way that we've incentivized families to not be moms and dads not to be a full family is and, and by the way, I'm I'm not against other forms of families either. I'm just talking about this as right. a as as a as a as, as a sort of way that young boys learn how to be responsible men. I, I think that's right. a factor as well. And I think I think that's a factor. That's it is cultural, but again, getting back to economics, has the welfare state incentivized um, uh, dads to walk away? And I think yeah, the answer yeah. is absolutely yes. Absolutely, 100%. Let me read your uh, tweet here and, and then let you even go even further with it because this this is a magnificent tweet. Uh, questions that won't be answered. I'll, uh, I'll add to the fact that we can answer them, but they won't be answered by the people that need them to be answered. So... Questions that won't be answered. Did punitive drug laws prevent mom from getting help? Did welfare make it easier for dad to abandon his family? Have public schools become callous prisons for struggling kids? Did lockdowns make things exponentially worse for someone on the edge? All of those questions. So Fantastic. as a yeah, as I was reading the specifics of this latest shooting, you learned that um, you know he—I uh, forget the the kid's name. Um, we probably uh, shouldn't say his name anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he 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 was living with his grandmother and ended up shooting his grandmother, um, mm -hmm. who apparently tried to stop him from doing what he did um, because his mom was an addict. Yeah. And and um, libertarians are obviously very critical of the war on drugs in in large part because it punishes people for um, addiction and it prevents right. people with addiction from getting the help they need because, you know, admitting that you're a drug addict is a prison sentence. It's not an opportunity to find, find treatment, to find help. And I think, yep. um, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about the, um, experiment in Portugal. And I assume you've, you've heard of the story of Portugal where Portugal was the number one death toll from drug abuse in all of the European union. And about 15, 20 years ago, I don't remember right now, um, they decided to decriminalize everything, not just weed, but everything. Yeah. And the results were almost miraculous because yep. um, they are now the best place in the European Union when it comes to drug overdoses and deaths. And it's because it's a sort of an obvious solution. It's because people... Um, with problems, we're free to to come out and and say I need help, and they and yeah. they could find that help, and they they could um, quite often get their get their lives back together. Um, the drug war does the opposite; it it throws people in prison. They become part of the prison in, industrial complex, and they never get out again. Um, that was his mom, 
Um, his dad was never there. I don't know why. Um, but I do know that generally speaking, um, uh, fatherlessness in this country is incentivized by the welfare state. There's other reasons, and I'm not I'm not here to judge or say that there's a one size fits all answer to this. But we should at least ask the question: Are we actually creating this dysfunction with government policies that are claiming to help people? Um, schools. We've already right. talked about schools. It's the same thing, and the other thing about this um, this kid that became a monster and slaughtered all these children, he fell apart during lockdowns. Yep. And, and he, he admits it. And he didn't show up after schools opened again. He was lost. And, mm-hmm. and I think, I think you could look at data and find this pattern. There's, there's a lot of kids, teen suicide, um, depression, all sorts of damage that we've done to kids during lockdowns because socialization and gathering is such a key part of, of how they learn um, to survive as human beings. So I, I think we should at least look at some of these uh, corruptions that government policies have done um, instead of just falling into the typical political talking points of, oh, we need to ban assault weapons. I, I obviously, I, I don't, I don't think that would be a solution anyway. I, I right. think it's, I think it's just something that um, the left wants to do. And I don't know how anyone can look at what's going on in Shanghai right now and say, oh, let's give all the weapons to government. But my God, but on a, on a practical level, um, you're, you're not going to stop evil people from hurting people. But you could look at some of these systemic problems that that might be the difference between someone who's troubled and struggling and someone who turns into a monster. And that's all I was saying in that tweet. No, and, and you're absolutely 100% spot on because I think that, not think, I know for a fact that we're searching in the wrong directions for correction and that might be a good tweet right there <laughs> we're searching in the wrong direction for correction and, and and that's absolutely spot on what we're doing is not only discouraging from good and advantageous help it's actually detrimental what we've been look let me put my tin felt full hat on and feel free to disagree with me on this one. Um, I, I, I so I, I am very convinced that it's by design. I don't know how to explain it, Matt. I really don't because if we really wanted answers and if we really wanted to stop these kinds of acts of violence and just immorality, then the answers that they keep spewing and vomiting out on the internet and on media that would go away because we all know that those are not the obvious answers they're not we need 
these kids to have help and the help that they're you're not gonna you're not gonna give these kids help by banning guns you're not gonna give these kids help by you know banning certain regulations in school the republican democrat that is not the answer it's so much further so much deeper than that and we need to really look at psychologically why we've arrived at this point in time where we have literally the most gun restrictions that we've ever had in the United States and still have these kids murdering other kids. When this didn't happen 50 years ago, when guns were everywhere, this is a psychological issue. This is a cultural issue. This has nothing to do with a piece of metal, plastic, or anything other than that. It doesn't. This is a psychological and cultural issue, and we have to figure out it's our responsibility. I'm not going to say it's we have to. I shouldn't have worded it that way. I mean, I I believe we do. We have that responsibility. Yeah. But we got to figure out what's really going on here. Yeah, like this is one of those adult conversations we should have. And that's why that's why I said these questions won't be answered. Um right. because because politics doesn't really encourage um serious self-reflection. And you could see this just in the you know, the, the corporate media's narrative. Um a shooting happens in Texas and it's the governor's fault because he's a Republican and he's against gun right. control. Um uh a mass shooting happens in New York and the narrative is quite different. The The governor of New York right. is not held accountable for that because, because they have very strict gun control laws in New York and, and somehow that didn't change the outcome at all. Um, but it's, you know, political discourse is not conducive to, to serious self-reflection, particularly if the, 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 the perpetrators, the the ones that are 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 creating these these laws that are that are really about obedience and control, um, they're not about to come out and say, "Oh, I got it wrong." Um, right. They're, they're not going to admit that. They're going to say, "We need to double down. We need to do more and more." Um, but you know, the rest of us could have that conversation. And uh, you know, I I even hesitated tweeting that because. Um, every time something this awful happens, people, people just get so violently emotional about it. Um, you, you hesitate to engage in the conversation. Um, but, but I did anyway, because that's what we do. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, look, we have to, I mean, at the expense of, you know, our own self-worth and (laughs) maybe self worth is not the, the proper terminology there but i don't i don't mind the hate I, right. I don't i don't exactly. mind the hate and i particularly don't take um uh mean comments from people on twitter seriously i think i think i, I don't think that matters i think and again like it's, this gets to like who are we speaking to like who are we speaking to tonight and who are we trying to speak to um as people that that love liberty and human dignity 
Um, yeah. We're trying to connect with people that are, that have open hearts and open minds and they're, they're trying to figure out something as complex as what do you do about a confused kid that, that murders children? Um, yeah. And, you know, what, what was the tipping point where that confused kid became um, an evil monster? And those, you know, there, there's absolutely no easy answers to that question. And um, yeah. you, you can't even have the conversation unless people are willing to sort of admit with some humility, you know, I, I don't really know what to do, um, which is which is why we okay. should why we should try to figure this out. But I, I know that what we've been doing didn't work. And so maybe we should, we should have some self-reflection on that. But, you know, obviously, um, when, when you have those conversations, you're going to have people taking shots at you, but that's okay because we're not, we're not talking to those guys. We're, we're right. talking to other good hearted people trying to figure stuff out. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, and that's all we can do, right? That only look, <laughs> There's no chance of trying to change somebody's mind who's already made up. They, we can try, give it our best effort. If they hear us, then amen. But by and large, the demographic, the audience we're trying to reach are people that are really actually and honestly trying to say, look, what can we do? Because this is brutal. We need some answers here. Those are the people, those are the demographic that we're trying to reach when it comes to situations like this. What else can we do? I mean, we have to try to get to the people that are reachable. Yeah, but by the way, and it's I'll, I'll, I'll fall into my very libertarian skeptical of, of gun control. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, these school shootings almost by definition happen in gun-free zones and in a gun-free zone, only law enforcement, only the government is allowed to have guns. And we're now learning that in this most recent shooting, the police with the guns didn't go in to try to save the kids. So uh, my own, my own, like I, I've always been philosophically hundred percent pro second amendment, but my own, and I, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. So there were guns around. I, I was never a gun guy. Um, but my wife and I decided to get our, our um, handgun licenses here in the district of Columbia, which is very difficult Five or, six year, five or six years ago, um, there was a shooting in Paris at a concert at, at the at the Bataclan. The, there's a band called the Eagles of Death Metal and just a brutal terrorist attack where they just mowed people down and people were helpless. And, and at that point, I realized that as someone that philosophically believed in the Second Amendment, I was kind of free riding on those that took that responsibility more seriously because even when the police are heroic and there are absolutely heroic uh, police officers who save lives, um, sure. they're probably not going to be there when you need them. They can't. Nope. 
they can't be there. Um, particularly when it comes to to random acts of 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 violence like like you saw in Texas or at at this this terrorist attack in in Paris. Um, we have a personal responsibility to keep our communities safe. And that's that's why I armed up. And I, I Terry and I went and and we had always shot guns, but we went and got extensive training and and took that responsibility. Um, I personally am the guy that would not rather do that because because I'm not I'm, I'm not a gun nut. I'm, I'm guessing you're a gun nut, but I don't know this about you. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love my firearms. I have many of them. I love yeah. going to the range all day. Uh, but no, I, I no, at no point in time of my life will I want to discharge my firearm in self-defense. Yeah. Not once. I don't know. I, I like my life. I don't want to have to even deal with having to kill someone and live with that in my conscience. I don't want to have to deal with going through the court process. I don't want any of that. None of it. Please, God, just freaking be a decent human being and don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Uh, I went and grabbed your book, by the yeah. way, and it, it just played out perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's so frustrating. Yeah. I would be labeled as a gun nut, but that's yeah. irrelevant because. I don't want to have to use my guns at all. But I, but I think, um, for all of these reasons, if, if our, if we think our kids are not safe in school, if we think that we're not safe, um, the best way to make our communities safe is to, is to decentralize that responsibility. Correct. Um, and I, I, I believe that this, um, with all my heart, um, that, that centralized protection systems, even when they work, don't work. And by work, I mean, even when the people um, in charge of our defense have the best incentives and, and really um, are the best at what they do. Um, and, and by the way, they're not, they're not always those people. Um, um, right. we, we've seen, we, we as libertarians are, are perfectly comfortable criticizing um uh, law enforcement when when they abuse their power. So, but but to me the the answer, like the answer to everything, is is personal responsibility, um, decentralized authority, and cooperation that allows people to work together to make the world a better place. And and you you can apply that to schools. You can apply that to to personal safety. You can apply it to to every aspect of life life that 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 real people care about, and 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 our our project to to sort of bring this full circle is to, like like how do we connect to that mom you were talking about earlier? Well, yeah. we we got to figure out what she's struggling with and what what we might offer as 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 practical, useful solutions that could make her struggle easier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's beautifully said. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, exactly. We want to reach the people in our community. Uh, 
that are struggling, that don't care about your freaking political agenda, how can we reach them and communicate on a very easily understandable basis of, look, this is your concerns. I understand your concerns. These are the reasons why you are even having those concerns in the first place. And that is government. It's government interventionism. It's too many laws. It's overreach. It's oversight. You should be able to have full autonomy over your life. And you're being blocked on a federal level and a state level, regardless of the state. Red, blue doesn't matter. You're being blocked. Your ability to live and succeed in this life is being blocked directly from government. So, yeah, no, I had to, uh, sorry, I went over there and grabbed it because you were making that freaking point and it was so perfect. So I went and grabbed your book. Don't hurt people. Don't hurt, don't take their stuff. Uh, New York Times bestseller, Matt Kibbe. So thank you, my friend. You are absolutely fantastic. I love every single conversation we have. Cool. This was awesome. Let's Let's do it again. Man, I can't wait. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, you know I'm going to hit you up. You're, you're kind of out of my league, but you're hanging out with me. So I'm uh, I'm going to hit you up. You're fantastic. You're enlightening, and you always deliver something that is expressionable and absolutely relatable to the people and 100% fantastic. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon, man. Talk to you. What can I say? Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Somebody says beer soon. What do you mean beer soon? Well, my clock is 10.05. It's time for me to go to bed. I am almost 40 and I have three kids. Yeah, I don't know about beer soon. No thanks. Hard pass. I'll put it up there again, though. That's <laughs> funny. Oh, man. James, thank you. Thanks, Mr. Kibby. Yes, absolutely. Great show, Cajun. No, great show from Matt Kibby. I mean, I appreciate the compliment. I shouldn't have said it like that. My bad. Thank you so much. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, insight, valuable information. Things that are hard to come across. Conversations that are difficult to have every day in your community. But we got to have them, y'all. We have to have them. Amazing. I'm going to throw it up there again. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. New York Times bestseller, Matt Kibbe. Go buy it. It's very cheap. Or very inexpensive. I should say it like that. Thank you so much. I love each and every one of y'all. Thank you, Matt, for joining me again. I feel very special and honored to have him on yet again. And given his approval, we'll have him on again soon. Because an amazing, amazing conversation, as always. 
great insight. I love you very much. I will see you soon. Same Cajun time, same Cajun channel, and I am out. Thank you.